0: This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. It certainly wasn't a game week of results that many people would have predicted, certainly not us, with some of the relegation battlers claiming some incredibly vital three points that put them a tad closer to survival. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Rhys. Hello, Tom. So, Tom, out of all the results this game week, which one surprised you most?
1: I think there's two that probably initially stand out. There was the Fulham result against Brighton, um, which even though, you know, two teams that are, have done pretty well um, this season, this campaign so far, Brighton have had, you know, been one of the darlings, as we've probably mentioned uh, many times before of the other 14. Uh, Fulham pretty much also the same, but then for Fulham to, to grab um, what was a, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't class it as a smash and grab, but they were very much up against it for the entirety of the game.
0: It was a shock one 0 win. It was a shock result. It was a shock to see that result at the Amex. Um,
1: yeah. given that was more that, that... Was more Brighton last year, I think. Or yeah, they've been really pretty solid. But sort of like a bit timid at, at home.
0: Mm. But you know, um, but got the win. Go so. It's a it's a good three points to them to put them kind of in that chasing pack. Well, to keep them up with that kind of chasing pack of that kind of European Europa League Conference League yeah. kind of positioning that them. And Brighton
1: are currently uh, jostling yeah, for it. That's a little bit more jeopardy, I think, into that into that battle for for European mm. spots. Um, and then also the um, the Bournemouth result against against Wolves, because um, that was at the Mon- that was a Mon- Mon- right? Um, yeah, it was. Um, at and you know, as as we've seen, like Wolves Wolves's record at home uh, amongst those sort of in and around sort of the bottom nine, shall we say. Um, been, it's, it's been pretty solid, you know. They've been pretty used to sort of grabbing one nil wins and, and getting away with sort of three points. Um, but for Bournemouth to go away from home against a side that's been sort of on the up against with uh with Lopatiga recently, I found that actually also quite surprising. And again, it was very much similar to the um to the Brighton Fuller game where Wolves are pretty much on top for the majority of it, didn't really take their chances, and Bournemouth late on grabbed a grabbed a winner.
0: Yeah, and we'll be talking more about that and its implications in the relegation battle later in the episode. Um, the other fixture that probably stands out for me that we probably won't talk much more about beyond this point is oh, really? um, Forrest getting uh, the point at home to Man City, considering how well Man City have been doing recently. They've been obviously in that uh, league title chase and them to be, for Forrest to be 1-0 down at home to the league champions and a title contender to come back from a losing position um, and get the point, I think is really, really good. Admittedly, Man City missed an absolute barrow full of chances, but... I
1: think Chris Wood Wood showed uh, Erling Haaland where the back of the net was in that game.
0: Absolutely. And then it was something like Forrest's goal was 17 passes amongst all 11 members of the team. Love that, which is quality against. It's total football against Pep Guardiola as well. Bear in mind that's kind of not that he invented it, but like that's the style that he was known for at Barcelona, playing it around, working the spaces, manipulating everyone, and then just being able to produce a tap in goal at the back post for Chris Wood, as you say, just to eat. In all fairness, he couldn't miss at that point, to be honest, because oh, no. it was rolled across the goal. He just had back post, not knock, knocked in with his left foot, and then it's party time at the City Ground.
1: To be to be fair, I didn't think Ernie Haaland could miss his chance, but he still managed to see it somehow.
0: I I'm not upset though because I'm I not did, upset. I, I captained Rashford in fantasy this weekend, obviously, and most people in my leagues had Haaland as captain, so that proved dividends for me.
1: I only had Harland in because I was a special someone and forgot the deadline.
0: Oh, I forgot the deadline as well, and I think I would have changed to Haaland had I remembered, but yeah, I forgot it completely. Anyway, first things first, before we move on to the topics of the week, over to you, Tom, with the classified results of the game week.
1: And here are the classified results for match week 24 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Aston Villa 2, <laughs> 4. Brentford 1, Crystal Palace 1. Wolverhampton Wanderers 0, AFC Bournemouth one, Brighton Hove Albion nil, Fulham one, Everton one, Leeds United nil, <coughs> nil, Southampton one, Nottingham Forest one, <coughs> one, Newcastle nil, <coughs> two, <coughs> three, Leicester City nil, <coughs> two, West Ham United nil.
0: Well, there's certainly a lot of interesting results there. We've mentioned a couple, but we might as well dive straight back into how this game week affects the relegation battle. So, we've pretty much said that Southampton were down. Leeds are obviously managerless and without a win for a while. And then Bournemouth, we've been talking about how Gary O'Neill hadn't really had much of an impact of recent and it was all going downhill. But Southampton produce a win at Stamford Bridge and then Bournemouth somehow produce a result at Moloney, which has shaken up the bottom three completely now with West Ham, Leeds and Southampton making up the final three places from 18th through to 20th and now Bournemouth and Everton are out of the relegation zone by just one point and then Wolves and Leicester are slowly kind of being pulled back into it a little bit. It's we've said this so many times over the last couple of weeks, but it is so incredibly close between Palace in 12th and West Ham in 18th. It's literally two wins that separate them at this point. I there's a lot of negative speaking from a West Ham perspective, there's a lot of negativity going around, um, particularly after losing 2 0 at New Shire Heart Lane, which. I don't think it's necessarily a bad result because Tottenham are normally quite good at home. But I think it's got fans worried because of those wins for Bournemouth, Southampton and Everton.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you know this, this is the thing now. And we've mentioned this so, so many times um, throughout the season. You've already mentioned it in the show um, so far. Is that, that you can literally just pick up a couple of wins here and there. And you can either, you know, go from like 18th right up to like mid-table. It's just mad how close it is. Um, West Ham, again, just sort of... You felt, you know, they were, they were unbeaten in three um, going into this game against against Spurs. And you felt that they might be turning a corner, whereas they, they weren't scoring a massive, you know, a massive amount of goals. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, Tottenham are, are strong um, at home. But it, it, I think it's just on the goal scoring front that they're really struggling on. And I think that's really starting to affect them now, where they just literally they cannot pull themselves away from that sort of bottom three. And they're gradually being brought back into it. Everton under new manager Deitch, um, minus the Merseyside Derby result um last Monday, where they lost 2-0 to Liverpool. I think John Deitch has gone there in there straight away and done the classic thing for a manager um, going into a relegation threatened club. He's strengthened the home form. By two 1 0 wins that are very sort of gritty and just very sort of um, just changing the confidence levels in the club. You've mentioned Bournemouth as well, a much needed win, uh, especially away from home um, at Bolly uh, against Wolves, who have been sort of really on the climb of late uh, under Lopotega, you know, three wins out of five. Um, And that's, that's going to dent their their hopes a little bit. I I really cannot pick this. I really cannot pick my mind sort of keeps sort of flitting back and forth between who I think is going to go down. I still stay, I still stick with my original sort of thinking around sort of Southampton and Bournemouth, just because I think, you know, one win here and there is not really going to keep you up. Um, But in terms of who else goes, I, I really cannot, I really cannot say at the moment
0: no I'm not sure either so looking so if we go team by team so looking at Southampton they had Ross and run of form got rid of Jones still not appointed a new manager um because to, although we spoke about last week how Jesse Marsh was pretty much a shoe in the day after recording it came out that he wanted a long-term contract they only wanted to offer him a, a short one effectively a trial period um And he rejected that. So they currently are without a manager. My only thing about this win is, obviously, they've now done the double over Chelsea this year, which is quite impressive for a team that... To
1: be fair, all you've got is Chelsea's one goal and that's it.
0: Well, exactly. But it's more of a case for me that that Chelsea side does look like a, a team of players that don't... Simultaneously, don't know... Looks like they don't know what they're doing. And also, it doesn't look like they're prepared to try for Potter. And yeah. so Southampton, they got that goal. Um, we'll talk about the quality of that goal later. But I'm not sure whether that is sustainable long term for them. Obviously, they got that result. Is that going to breed more? I'm not sure because they're still without a manager. Leeds are in a dreadful place right now. Obviously, not a ideal result. Going to Goodison losing, but five, yeah, at yeah. At least five, without a manager as well. Like, and that's the thing we talk about man- making a change and getting that new manager bounce. Well, neither Southampton or Leeds have been able to appoint anyone yet.
1: So yeah. it's it, still it's still flitting back and forth very mm-hmm. much between who's going to come in. You know, Ruben Seller's at uh, Southampton is still very much the um, the odds on favourite. Um Next, there is Jesse March still um, at eight to one. And then Leeds at the moment, Harry uh, Gracia is the um, odds-on favourite, one to four, uh, and then the next eight to one is Rafa Benitez. Um, so it, it keeps sort of flitting and, and, and changing around, and just no real sort of emphasis on actually who's going to come in. So I think that's going to run on and, on and on for some time yet.
0: Absolutely. So and then Bournemouth obviously picked up a vital win, their first win in a while. They have got five points from their last five games, which is kind of okay form and the same for West Ham five points from their last five games I, it, for me I'm speaking very much as a fan I can see that the team is not performing they're not scoring goals um, at the London Stadium or away from the London Stadium but just looking at that squad and I know there's been a number of times where this has been said about various teams in the Premier League that squad is just too good to go down but whether that is the whether that is the case come match week 38, I still don't know. I'm slightly less confident than I was a couple of weeks ago. But that but then their last five games, so including that, they beat Everton, relegation rival, tick, got a draw away at Newcastle. Good result. That is a good result, Tick. Then a draw with Chelsea. Like not a bad result. Admittedly Chelsea aren't exactly uh, hard right now, no. Yeah. And then a loss away at Tottenham, obviously not most teams in and around where they are will probably go and lose a White Hart Lane. Yeah. So
1: it's not but, been an easy run of fixtures.
0: No, and I think that's where West Ham fans, obviously, understandably, getting a bit concerned because teams around them, like Everton, like Bournemouth, like Southampton, have all but picked up three points, which makes West Ham look a little bit things look a little bit bleak for West Ham. But their result, their their fixtures are going to slightly change now going forward. So the next game is against Forest, which if West Ham win that at the London Stadium on Saturday, that puts them two points behind Forest, who are in 13. Does that mean their Forest are in a relegation battle based on their performance against Man City at the weekend? You wouldn't say so. And right. then West Ham, after that, have a result against Brighton, which I think, in all fairness, um, less said about that, will be uh, will be easier for West Ham fans.
1: But we you're did right. Come on
0: to that a little bit later. It, It's so crazy close right now that each game week, it is going to be, it's just going to keep changing down there. It wouldn't surprise me if if over the next three or four game weeks, we do see Everton in the relegation zone again. We might even see Wolves down there again, because it's just going to constantly change depending on who they, who are they playing week in, week out, which makes all those games amongst those kind of bottom six, seven, eight clubs so much more important and so much more valuable because I don't think, I think from, see I'm not even sure that, Palace in theory only need 14 more points from 15 games.
1: To get to the 40 mark, yeah.
0: To get to the 40 mark, but that's only two wins, they are only six points from the relegation zone.
1: Yeah, that, the former group the flight hasn't been great.
0: It hasn't been great. They've only got... Well, they've, got, uh, got, they've got four points from the last five. They've got a lot of draws recently, not being able to get yeah. those wins. But it's one of
1: those. I don't see,
0: don't see Palace going down, but the margins are so fine at the moment. In the exactly. It's absolutely it, 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 there might crazy. be a shock
1: one where you just end up on the match week 38, just happen to drop into the, the, the bottom three at the and last minute. I think that's what might it might come down to, is yeah. if
0: final couple of game weeks, if there are teams... Like Villa, Chelsea, Brentford, Liverpool, Fulham, Brighton, who might not be in those European places, might not really be fighting for anything at that point in the season. They might be on the beach. You never know what's going to happen with those games. And it might, you just don't know where those games are going to go. And it's going to, I think final few game weeks are going to be scary for a lot of teams because I don't see the quality from any of those teams down there at the moment that are gonna that's gonna show that's gonna make them pull away from that pack.
1: Yeah Wolves, exactly.
0: The only one is Wolves at the moment. They got three wins from their last five, but they were so in there and so poor. But then going and losing at home to Bournemouth, everyone that would have been an aca killer this game week because everyone would have been going Bournemouth are dreadful. Wolves are showing good form under Lopateggi and then Banana skin fixture, and then it suddenly looks worrying again.
1: Yeah, I mean, our fab full predictions weren't exactly great right this week. Um, absolutely killed us this week. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just I really, really cannot pick it. Um, the one thing I would probably say, um, on the West Ham front, and I've mentioned to this, you uh, mentioned this to you previously, is that all of the bottom six clubs, bar West Ham, have sat their manager and have had. I, would, I wouldn't say something about because Leeds and Southampton are very much still not, um, you know, they're still in the bottom, uh, still in the bottom three. But Bournemouth, every, Bournemouth had a bounce. Everton have had a bounce. Wolfe, uh, Wolves have had a bounce. West Ham, are you sticking or twisting um, with David Moyes right now? Uh, I know you've had a poor run, but you know, next couple of games, if you lose that game to Forest, so
0: the the word is that if. If West Ham lose to Forest on Saturday at that three o'clock kickoff, then David Moyes is jobless. And he's got to be right. I mean Yeah, that my my only concern is and I, I I've always wanted Moyes to succeed, and I've always thought he's got the squad to. Something's still not working, and I've I've said it pretty much since one of the first game weeks something's not clicking um my uh my biggest concern out of it all is who do you bring in?
1: It's a very good question
0: who who is there with that kind of managerial experience? Because we're seeing that it's not just a case of trying to find a manager. It's then about getting the right contract for them. Southampton went, oh, let's get Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh wants a long-term contract. Southampton don't want to commit to that because they don't know where they're going to be in six months. Yeah. With West Ham, I think it's the case. They can can sack David Moyes and aim for the skies, but they don't know whether they're going to be in a position to offer a big contract to a big-name manager. Also, are they... Of the managers that play that kind of football that would keep a team up, who is there that's available? I well, I think the... I know that they have a soft spot for him and he almost joined West Ham in the past. But this is with obviously no insider knowledge because I'm not the sort of person. But I think yeah. the person that would become closest to getting this job at the moment, if Moyes was sacked tomorrow, would possibly be Rafa Benitez
1: like I said, you know, out, out of a job right now, he keeps talking up. you know, he was on, um, I think he was on the Sky Sports Punditry panel for the uh, Newcastle-Liverpool game um, at the weekend. And, you know, obviously the question would have come up um, in regards to, you know, what's your sort of future prospects? What are you thinking in terms of a job? Are you still very much um, under the idea of, Go into a Premier League side when the opportunity becomes available. You know, he still lives in the country, he still lives in Merseyside. You know, his family are very much well set in, in, in Merseyside right now. That would be, you know, an ideal prospect for. And like you said many times before, that West Ham squad is, uh, I genuinely believe this also, is that it is too good to go down. They've obviously had a, a poor run this year um, and it's probably well set if things come together they do start climbing the table again i think that is a good project and, and rafa is very much one of those people who looks at the project as opposed to you know just trying to gain some success become like an anodized type of person who get you away from litigation, and then just sort of wave goodbye type of thing um rafa's not that sort of person he does look at a project and i think west ham would be an ideal suitor for him that being said i i think yeah i i it would be sad to see Moy's going on. You know, again, I'm, I'm talking as if he's would already been given the sack. He hasn't, so i have got to respect him there. Um, but that that clock is gradually winding down. It it really is. And the thing is, it's one of those
0: that I really like, the guy really wanted to work, and I'm still not sure for certain. I can't... It's one of those, that even if we lose to Forrest, part of me is like, well, I still think he's one of the best options to get us up yeah. and i think that's purely i think at this point that's purely irrational it's, Yeah, uh, it's an irrational point of I, th- view. I think i
1: think the one thing i don't want to see west ham fans do if it you know if you do lose sort of or if the run sort of continues on down the bad stretch that it has is any sort of animosity towards david Moyes. it you know that that guy has given everything over the last couple of years and he's given you some of the best days oh absolutely uh, we've got ever to be a west ham fan he-
0: Twice he's kept us up uh, in relegation battles. He's then taken us to Europe, given us great away days, great European nights at the London Stadium. Um, I don't know. Um, Watch this space. Exactly. If West Ham were to win in a convincing manner against Forest at the weekend, I think that obviously adds more time. Yeah but i just don't know uh, yeah. i would uh, if we were to kind of if we were to get knocked out of the conference league and kind of stumble our way to the end of the season and just survive i still think they'll probably make a managerial change yeah. if there's a if we win the conference league and have a good change of form and suddenly finish say 13th 12th then i think he would probably be kept on over the summer, but with the way things are going at the moment, even if we just kind of stumble over the line, I think yeah. they would look to make a change, which once again is sad because I really like the bloke, but popularity contests don't win you football games, unfortunately. And uh, no, that's exactly. been quite evident this season with West Ham only yeah. winning five, drawing five and losing 13 of so yeah. far this season. Um I... So we'll wait and see. And yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, what's more shocking is the I... performances of the players, to be honest. One of the stats that's absolutely horrendous is um, since the new year, Mikel Antonio hasn't registered a single shot on target. But anyway, right. enough of uh, yeah. talking about um, West Ham's poor performances. I'm really intrigued by looking at Fulham and Brighton. So, unfortunately, yeah. and Newcastle. So Newcastle have unfortunately slipped out of that top four but they do have a game in hand over Tottenham Hotspur, who sit in fourth place with just one point more than them. I think what's great for Fulham and Brighton is that they are currently sitting in those Europa League and Europa Conference League places, uh, depending on how the cup uh, results go. Newcastle, though, they've taken a bit of a slide, haven't they?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, at one point, you know, we were talking about potential of Newcastle. Are they in the title race? Are they not? I think that probably is now out of the question. So, you know, they sit 13 points behind Arsenal at the moment. That's generally gone out of the water without a win in four. Yeah, so
0: recent results um, at the weekend, they lost 2-0 to Liverpool. They then drew one all with Bournemouth, one all with West Ham, 0-0 with Palace. And their last win came... Wow. Um the last win in the league came on the fifteenth of January, so over a month ago now, with a one 0 yeah. win at Fulham. Well you just don't know what's happened to them. Obviously defensively I think... they're not conceding a lot, but something's gone yeah. wrong that they I... were so solid and they were one of the best defenses in the league, and now they're struggling to pick up points.
1: Yeah, I think the key there is probably the fact that they just they at the moment, they just can't seem to score goals. The goals have seemed to have dried up a crazy amount. You know, since that win, that 1-0 win against Fulham, they've got a 0-0 draw against uh, Palace, 1-0 draw against West Ham, 1-0 against Bournemouth, and then, yeah, got um, killed, got held scoreless against Liverpool and um, that 2-0 defeat. So, for whatever reason, goals have completely dried up for, for Newcastle. You know, they're averaging at the moment, you know, just under one a game. So for whatever reason, Eddie Howe needs to sort of get things going in the uh, in the attacking front. I think.
0: I suppose the only good sign for them is that they did go on that really good unbeaten run. So Tottenham are above them on eight uh, with eight losses. Newcastle have only lost two games this season.
1: Both and they're of against a very against, poor Liverpool side. <laughs> uh,
0: both, both to Liverpool, but they have eleven draws. So yep. almost, Newcastle, despite being fifth, and if they win their game in hand, they'll be fourth, almost half their games this season have been draws. Yeah. Which is a, which is a little bit mind-blowing, because we're imagining Newcastle as this team that just puts them away and beats a lot of teams. Admittedly, they do have 10 wins this season, which is pretty good. But for them to have those 11 draws shows that they are hard to beat, because they've only got yeah. two losses. That's the lowest in the league. Only I, Arsenal, I, Arsenal have lost uh, three and Brentford have lost four, which is shocking itself. And Man City have dro- lost four. But Newcastle have lost the fewest games this season, which is an incredible stat.
1: Yeah, I, I guess the thing, you yeah, know, it's the old saying, if you don't win the game, make sure you don't lose it. So they are pretty much the draw specialists, as our Brentford have also got 11 draws. Um, and I just think, you know, it, it, I think... Newcastle fans might be a little bit sort of unhappy. I wouldn't say unhappy because, you know, they're having a fantastic season, no doubt. Um, But the last sort of couple of games, sort of month or so, have have seen those sort of points really sort of dry up. Um, I think what Eddie Howe is doing is just gradually changing the character and um, the philosophy at Newcastle, whereby, you know, we're used to sort of losing games, we used to be sort of down amongst the relegation spots and maybe just sort of every occasion be a mid-table side. They're gradually becoming a tough team to beat, as you have mentioned, only two defeats all season. And that sort of, that mindset of being that sort of team is gradually picking them up. Um, yeah, granted, they've only got 11, 11, uh, they've only got 10 wins out of 23 and they seem to be picking up draws left, right and centre at the moment, but... I think you know it's just all about being patient with Newcastle. Um, anything else that happens this season, you know they've got Carabao Cup final coming up um, and the potential for European football. Um, so it is very much still a fantastic season. I think just Newcastle fans just be patient.
0: Yeah, I think the same. Um, having spoken to a Newcastle fan, when all the money came in, they said they don't it, they don't expect instant success, and also they almost. Although I'm not sure how true this was of their opinion was, oh, we don't want that instant glory um, and don't expect that instant glory. But I do still think they're still in this top four chase. I think Europa League would be a very good finish for them still. um, it I would like them to break into the top four, but if they were to finish with European football for the end of the next season, I think that'd be really, really Good finish for them.
1: Not um, oh, really, yeah, definitely.
0: Likewise for Fulham, straight up from the Championship, currently sitting in sixth, so Europa League place, depending on how cup game uh, cup results go. But they're absolutely two points from safety, just um, <laughs> shy of that forty-point mark.
1: I'm sure they will be um, a sigh of relief when that comes.
0: But given they're a team with some uh, European pedigree. With that Roy Hodgson um, Europa League run in what was it 2010 where they lost to Atletico but beat Juve? Um, It was around then, wasn't it? Was
1: that 2009-2010? I think it was that season. It
0: was around there where they Bobby Zamora scored against Juventus, which is absolutely crazy. I think
1: Roy Um, took over a little season after, so I think that must have been 2010.
0: Yeah, so. Imagine European football back at the cottage. That'd be really exciting for them.
1: Um, Newsstand so, as well, everything looking up.
0: It is, it's really looking positive for them. Considering we weren't too optimistic at the start of the season, I think we'll come back after 38 game weeks, put our hands up and go, well, wow, we got that very, very, very wrong. Which yeah, one of the worst
1: takes, I think, of the season. It,
0: it has been a dreadful take from us and yeah. um, to see them do so well is great. Marco Silva proving that he's a quality manager, despite having a really torrid time at Everton, but Every Everton manager's had a thorough time at Everton for the last 15 years. It's probably just relief when they get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we'll see over the next couple of game weeks. We've got these European kind of jostles to fight out with Brentford also in that chasing pack. Because I think from sixth down to ninth is incredibly close with only one win in it with Brighton, Liverpool and Brentford all on 35 points. And then at the bottom of the table, it's uh, yeah, crazy.
1: I mean, could we have a uh, a point where we might even have you know two or maybe three of those other fourteen sides, as you mentioned, Newcastle United, uh, uh, Newcastle, Fulham, and Brighton, being in European spots, and the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea not? There's every chance because Liverpool maybe have shown
0: a little bit of form recently, uh, having seven points from their last five. While the likes of Bright- Brighton have got eight from their last five. They're brilliant. Um, yeah. Brent- Brentford have got nine from their last five. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Um, it's one of those that realistically, if Liverpool are playing their best football, they will finish. Which we're not. Unfortunately, they will finish Brighton and Fulham because they'll be able to turn out results. The yeah. only thing is they are not playing that well and Fulham, Brighton, Brentford are all playing incredibly well. So... There is a chance that two because I don't think Chelsea are in it at the moment. I think there's yeah. a strong chance that two of the big six won't get European football next year, which it's, is yeah. does two thirds away the, the season. I just it I does, yeah, does did not a predict a this table. What a weekend of football and what a conversation it has brought up around all these teams. So with fans worrying, fans celebrating and the table's just unpredictable. Just right looking now. for week after week now to see what happens. So, Tom, it's what we've wanted for this podcast is a chance for one of the other 14 to win some silverware. These sorts of chances don't come along often, but in the past, it's been very doable for our other 14. With Leicester's FA Cup coming to mind, Wigan, Birmingham winning the League Cup, silverware isn't something that's not completely unknown to the other 14. And this weekend, we have Newcastle going into the League Cup final. Against Manchester United, I'm incredibly excited for the fact that Newcastle might win some silverware, might be another chance to stick two fingers up at the so-called Big Six, as we've got a team that has gone and won something and beat the so-called Big Six in the process. What's your general vibe and feeling about Newcastle going into this?
1: I mean, as we've already, like, let's let's not forget Newcastle's sort of first appearance in a you know, first chance to win a piece of silver in over, I think, fifty odd years. Um, it has been a long, long time coming for the Geordies. So, no matter what the form is from the Premier League coming into this game, I think it's just a huge sense of excitement. Um, in the Northeast, the chance for silverware, especially up against United at Wembley. I haven't been to Wembley too many times of, of late. I, I think it's you know, I think it's going to be an incredible event. Um, something that you know newcastle united fans should look forward to and i we can expect now you know that it's gonna be some more of a common common thing over the um over the coming years obviously with, with the new money coming in um but for this first one i think you know um sort of similar to like when city um won that fa cup against stoke that was their first piece of silverware um under the new money and then and eventually naturally became part of the big six um, I, I'm feeling sort of a similar sort of sense of excitement um, up up north. That being said, and I did touch on it um, literally a couple of seconds ago. The form going into this game hasn't been fantastic, um, and we've already mentioned it in the show once or twice already. Um, they were that away five in the league, um, but they you know they dismantled Southampton very easily um, in the semi-final. Um, what was it? I think three-one aggregate score in the end. Or was it? Yeah, three-one over the two legs. Yeah, 2-0 two, home two win, that, that, that game at St James's Park, it was just absolutely bouncing, absolutely rocky. You mm. can tell how, how excited um, the Newcastle fans are about the the, the opportunity to actually be in a final. Um, yeah, the form hasn't been fantastic. And the 2-0 loss of the weekend, I think, pretty much summed up how the form hasn't been that great over the last sort of couple of weeks. And the big news is that obviously Nick Pope being suspended. Oh, um, so. He made a bit of a silly error at the weekend um, with his handball. So um, I was going
0: to come on to this because right, they've obviously go got... Bruno rice has just come back from suspension. So he served his three games now after getting sent he off. He key for him to be back. Yeah. Um, so obviously, they've not had a great couple of games without him. But then, yeah, hope... Oh, it's one of those that he obviously doesn't mean to handle it. That that's not what he's trying to do. He kind of falls into it, and then like some like goalie natural reactions take over, and he so clearly yeah, does handle he, it. He, and...
1: he very briefly, just, I think, got lost in, on the pitch yeah. and suddenly forgot where he was. And the and this coming from a Liverpool supporter, the hilarious thing about this now is that with Martin Dubravka being cup-tied, obviously because he's on loan from United, the potential is there for Loris Karius to make his Newcastle debut and be in the sticks for the Carabao Cup final. First time he's playing... Not got, in... He's
0: not a good history with finals, does he?
1: No, and I won't go there because it's still traumatic from, on my end. Um, we don't get yeah, here on this podcast. His, 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 his last time in a final or anything to do with English football because he's basically spent a lot of time on loan at uh, Besiktas since, um, since that Champions League final against Madrid, um, where he... Um, was air quotes concussed, um, and decided that he'd do everything in his possible power for Liverpool to lose the game. Um, but I'm not. I'm not salty. Um, no, it doesn't sound it at all. No, um, he hasn't played much uh, in England since then. Um, yeah, obviously Martin Dembélé being capped up by United, he has now the opportunity to some form of redemption um, in the offering in the offering um, this week, this coming weekend against United. So we'll see how he gets on.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's a tough one. Obviously, Pope's got, Pope has been so instrumental to Newcastle's success this season.
1: Like we've discussed it. One of the signs of the season.
0: Yeah, and then, ah, oh, Nicky boy. Right. It's he'd, one of those he'd that, he'd that you kind of think if Newcastle could contest it and risk an extra game suspension, they would. But there's no contesting that as a red card. It is so black and no. white. And thing I mean, about the league cup is that you know it's the
1: league cup, and it, you know those games in the Premier League count towards you know yeah, those sort of game suspensions those, does those count also towards the league cups, which
0: I I feel I feel so sorry for him because he's obviously he's done so well for them recently. He's been part of that solid kind of back five defensive unit for Newcastle, and then it's just such it was a silly mistake, and they were already two two down at the time which yeah. makes it almost a little bit sillier.
1: And it was so early on in the game as well.
0: It was so early on in the game. Um, oh, well, we... And then the other thing about this is, we won't talk them up too much, but it's hard to avoid the form of Manchester United right now. Um, particularly no. Marcus Rashford, who is having probably his best season in a while. He's almost taking the mick with the amount of goals that he's scored. Yeah. Um, so, Newcastle, if this is an opportunity for them to prove themselves as to who they are and what they can do, it's all about this game. It's all yeah, about, 100%. if they win this, that is a statement. If they don't win it, I think it's less disappointing given the circumstances. I think most Newcastle fans are just happy that they've made the final.
1: Um, yeah, but they ha- they haven't made it easy on themselves in this final, obviously, with the, with the Pope suspension. Yeah. Um... And they do go in obviously as as underdogs, considering the former Manchester United and the fact they they that, that United are above them in the league. Um, but like I said I think it would be a huge statement, and I think I think I've mentioned it once before about biggest challenge um, that Newcastle have faced. Um, I can't remember what the game was, um, but I think with the new money coming in, this is the biggest challenge. I think it must have been the City game actually when they drew three all. This is definitely the biggest challenge that Newcastle face um, yet under the new regime. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see, see, see how it goes. You know, Carabao pass always tends to be quite a nervy, quite close affair. There's, there's always quite a close run thing. Um, mm. Who knows? You know, absolutely. You've got Bruno Gimoros back who for them statistically over this, but since he's, since he's been playing for the club, the far much a better outfit with him being in the side as opposed to being out of it. So, him coming back is a huge, huge plus. But yeah. with Pope out, you just, yeah, and you yeah, just you... don't know what carries what is going to do. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he could decide to kick it into the back of his own net. Um, who knows? Well, that's the thing. Pope is one of those keepers that
0: will. He he can produce the world class where you're almost like, oh, that is most certainly a goal. Yeah. He can make that difference. But we'll. We'll
1: I thought you had too many sort of unknown quantities I think with this game coming up Absolutely,
0: well here at the Other 14 podcasts, we're obviously well behind Newcastle with this so we hope uh, come Sunday evening they are the champions and Eddie Howe um, does lift that silverware along with Kieran Trippier so fingers crossed for them and in that game and um, yeah I look forward to watching it Yeah, huge So Tom, expanding on from Stats Corner the other week when we looked at league tables between the current bottom nine of the Premier League, um, you've decided to do a bit of work looking at head-to-head records amongst the other 14 in this week's Stats Corner.
1: Welcome all. To another edition of Stats Corner. And for this week's feature, yes, Reese, we're going streaking. <laughs> now, Reese, know, I've known you for a good number of years. Uh, if there's ever been one constant in our friendship, it is that Brighton have always been West Ham's bogey team. A fact that you've been reminding me of for quite some time now and no doubt will have mentioned at one point or another ever since we've been doing this show. And of course, this being of note, because West Ham played Brighton in two weeks' time. But when you look at it in more detail, the sheer lack of any positivity in this fixture for West Ham is astounding. You have to go back to the year of Rutherford, Ennis and Farah doing bits in the London Stadium to find West Ham's last win in this fixture. Of course, I'm talking about 2012. And pretty... the fixture... yeah. Sorry, has it really been a decade? Yeah,
0: it has been a decade. <laughs> oh dear, the definition of a bogey team. Go on,
1: Tom. Tell Tell um... me some more enlightening news. And more enlightening news. And the fixture in question, both teams were in the Championship and the Hammers ran out 6 0 victors. Who was the hat trick hero that day? Um, oh, I want to say
0: Ricardo Vazte.
1: But it if... was indeed, Ricardo oh, Vazte. Get in there. It would be five years before the two teams would face off again, but this time in the Premier League. And Brighton took revenge after the 6 0 thrashing of 2012 and ran out 3 0 winners at the London Stadium. They've played each other another 10 times in the league since then, and the form guide for West Ham reads as follows. Lost, loss. loss draw, draw, draw. Draw, draw. Draw, draw. loss, loss. Pretty dismal reading for you, Hammers, and let's be honest, when you face off in two weeks' time, we're probably expecting a continu- uh, continuation, aren't we? Although saying this, Reese, West Ham were unbeaten against Brighton for 68 years in all comps between the years 1913 and 1981, So it's only the modern era which has seen West Ham struggling in this fixture. So really, it's just comeuppance for what Albion supporters have had to go through in the 20th century. Moving on, though, this got us thinking. Is there a worse run amongst the other 14 than West Ham are currently facing against the Seagulls? Is there another bogey team amongst our clubs that, come fixture release date, fans shiver at the thought of facing? I will be absolutely staggered
0: to see if there's one that's even comparable to West Ham Brighton. So uh, wow. I'm, I'm waiting with the anticipation here.
1: Here we go. So I'm looking at this from a couple of angles. One is, is there a worse live streak or worse active streak than West Ham currently have against Brighton, which at the moment stands at 11 games without a win over a period of 11 years? And two, has there been historically a worse run of results in head-to-heads than said fixture? And ultimately, are West Ham on their way to a record territory if they lose in two weeks' time against the Seagulls? I'll pause for a second to say thanks to the website 11v11.com, where I got most of the data from. Definitely a must if you're into delving deep into historical fixtures and stats. And before I get started, I'll also add that these fixtures are from all competitions and not just purely Premier League slash First Division. So point number one. Now, this fixture doesn't have the ongoing winless run. That West Ham currently have against Brighton. But in terms of being a greater bogey team, Aston Villa are certainly Forests. So Forests at the moment are winless in five games against the Villains. But looking back further, Forest only have four wins against Aston Villa since 1989, over 26 games. They've drawn 10 and lost 12 in that time. Comparing to West Ham versus Brighton over the same number of games, the Hammers have eight wins eight draws and 10 defeats. There is also Bournemouth versus Leeds. Now the Cherries have played Leeds a grand total of 14 times since the very first fixture back in 1939. And they had to wait until 2014 to finally grab their first ever win in the fixture. They've drawn twice and lost 11 of the remaining encounters. A match for West Ham's current winless run is Brentford against Leicester. Who are also winless in eleven games against the Foxes and haven't beaten them since nineteen fifty three.
0: Or oh, I feel obviously similar level of pain, but over a longer period of time. It's
1: a it's a draw out. So I don't know whether you want to die quick or die slow. I oh, think
0: that's the question. There seems to be death by a thousand cuts for Brentford, while it, it's it uh, pretty much is endless turmoil for West Ham fans with this yep. nonsense.
1: So now moving on to point two, where I try to find a fixture with a longer winless run. Um, than 11 sort of over sort of historical figures. And there's plenty out there actually amongst the current group of teams that make up the other 14, I found at least 10 occasions where teams have been winless in 12 games. So that includes Everton against Villa. So they went 12 games without a win over a five year period between 1909 and 1914. Crystal Palace against Fulham, who also went 12 games without a win over 11 years between 1974 and 1985. Wolves have been winless in 12 games, twice against Leeds in their history, first between 1929 and 1933, and between 1972 and 1977. There's been at least three occasions a team has been winless in 13 games, three occasions a team has been winless in 14, once in 15 games, once in 16, and the worst run that I've come across is 17 games without a win. And that has been managed on five occasions.
0: Wow. So West Ham have a long way to go if they want to be as poor of yeah. any of these.
1: So we've got Wars against Villa, who were winless in 17 over 30 years between 1980 and 2010, where they lost 13 and drew four times. Palace against.
0: As recent as 2010.
1: Wow. As recent as 2010. That is a Midlands derby where Villa very much had their weight. Palace against West Ham, who were winless in 17 over, wait for it, a 69 year stretch between 1922 and 1991, where they lost they, nine and drew eight.
0: so there must have been uh, in different leagues for large portions of that.
1: Yeah. The, 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 like some of these, you know, the, these teams probably haven't faced each other for quite some oh, time. Oh, of course, but then, yeah. Yeah, so that's why the, the stretch is as large as it is. Um, Leicester against Wolves, who were winless in 17 over 12 years between 1909 and 1921. They lost 12 and drew five in that run. Southampton against West Ham who were winless in 17 over eight years between 1906 and 1914 where they lost 11 times and drew six and finally Wolves against Southampton who were winless in 17 over 28 years between 1980 and 2008. Wolves lost 10 and drew seven times during that winless run. So there we have it West Ham may have the longest active winless run going in a fixture amongst the other four team, as well as Brentford but it's certainly not the longest. And with most historical winless runs not exceeding, say, 12 games, yes, worst cases have been known to exist, i.e. 17, it can't be that long before West Ham fans finally taste victory once more over Brighton, surely?
0: You'd certainly hope so, and given uh, David Moyes' current run-up. I actually think if West Ham were to beat Brighton, I think West Ham fans could possibly forgive David Moyes for everything I think that, that, that's that, happened that's,
1: this that's, season. That's, that's the equivalent of a cup one, isn't it?
0: I feel like that's a full-on redemption arc if we were to get a win against Brighton. Will not happen, because it just doesn't against Brighton. Um, but we'll wait and see. It's interesting to see that um, you mentioned about Brentford's run against Leicester. Well, Leicester yeah. are going to, uh, visiting uh, the community stadium in about a month's time, so we'll see if that run continues. So we'll have to make a mental note of. Uh, so who's, who's going to snap first? They, well, Exactly. Well, if West Ham don't beat Brighton in a couple of game weeks, <laughs> oh god, oh, it's it is staggering. Those some of those runs are absolutely incredible. Obviously, seeing Leeds and Villa involved in quite a number of them, given the fact that they during the 70s and 80s were such big teams and even going yeah. into the 90s like various levels of like European and league success uh, particularly against teams like Wolves who probably weren't as prominent at the time yeah Um, in terms of local derbies for Villa I think is obviously really interesting to see um, and particularly just to see how dominant they were Um.
1: yeah I Obviously, found it yeah, very much the same with Everton as well, sort of during the eighties, where they were very much consistent, um, sort of quite a larger side um at the time. Merseys, you know, Merseyside football was sort of on 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 top there at the time. Uh, they had you know a number that went unbeaten runs against the likes of Southampton um and Newcastle um in, in that period of time.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting to see about West Ham and uh, Palace, that little uh, run there, obviously um, over a fair period of time where they hadn't been quite in the same league. Mm. But then between them, there's been some really good um, battles from now on where it, that hasn't been the case, So where West Ham haven't been as dominant, including a um, playoff final where West Ham came out on the worst and um, Palace got promoted. So,
1: yes.
0: um, yeah, well, thank you very much for that. It's, uh, I think it's, Probably as a West Ham fan and also a Brentford fan, uh, with their uh, obviously barren run against Leicester, it's quite interesting to see from the point of, um, obviously it has been on for so long and that, you know, surely it can't keep going. But at the same time, the fact that there are runs that extend to 17 games
1: (laughs) means that there's a record to be broken. There's records always made to be broken. I guess the one other thing is obviously West Ham fans would consider Brighton very much their bogey team right now. Obviously, because it's, you know, it's been, you know, 11 years or so since the last win. Do Brentford fans and if there's a Brentford fan listening um, to this show, hit us up. Would you consider Leicester as your bogey team, even though it's over such a length of time and less game? You know, so the, the games are sort of spread out over a period of time, unlike, unlike the West Ham-Brighton fixtures?
0: Well, I, th- I think that's a fair question because obviously... It's still the same amount of game. It's still a team yeah.
1: they just can't get a result from. And exactly.
0: It's more a generational thing, I guess, of oh, it's Brentford. Well, for the last twenty years we've all been going, Oh, it's we're playing Leicester this week, and we're done for. Admittedly, yeah. a team like Brentford and Leicester, where there has been a lot of league moving between the both of them, going up, going down. Um, obviously now both settling very prominently into the Premier League. Um yeah, I think look it'd be interesting to see obviously but too much to look back on. But when was the last time Brentford played Leicester where Brentford were having such a better season than Leicester and doing so much better? Because I mm. I think we'd be pushed to find one because I think even last season, Leicester had a reasonably okay season. Um, yeah, I mean, they were uh,
1: challenged for Europe pretty much until the last little bit, weren't they? So. Exactly.
0: So it'll be really interesting. Uh, I think this could be another time where, obviously, or this could be a time where Brentford are actually favourites going into the game. There are plenty of games this game week that were quite barren of goals, with a number of teams just slotting in the one. But please, could you tell us who you think deserves to be awarded Goal of the Week?
1: Goal of the Week This week's Goal of the Week, and as you've mentioned, not exactly hugely indebted with number of goals, but the goals that we did see this week, I think were some of the highest quality um, that we've seen all year. And in terms of percentage, in terms of total goals scored and bangers, I think the um, the ratio is pretty, you know, the percentage wise is pretty high this week as opposed to other, other weeks. Um, so in terms of my shortlist, I do actually have quite a shortlist this week uh, as I did last week. Um, so I'll just go through them. So I'm looking at Ollie Watkins' Ollie Watkins' first goal. And that lad's been in incredible form over the last couple of weeks. His first goal against Arsenal. Um, bit of a poor first touch. You know, it sort of took him away from goal slightly, but he does recover well. And then, you know, he does have a lot to do from the position that he ends up in. Tight angle against uh, Ramsdale, but he finishes strong into the far bottom corner. Coutinho is also against Arsenal, um, where I think that was pretty much set up by Buendia's dummy. Um, led continues having a lot of time and space. For a lad who hasn't scored much this year and not really delivered the promise of the permanent signing that he'd made in the summer, uh, for him to finally get that goal and put Aston Villa at the time into a 2-0 position against the league leaders um, was huge. Uh, so a nice little finish from him. Uh, Seamus Coleman's, I think we've we both pretty much uh, mentioned, um, would be on our short list. Um, the tightest of tight angles, but then I sort of looked at it again And then I looked at what the actual fuck was Melier doing.
0: (laughs) So it's one of those things. And the Coleman goal really has me thinking. Um, Obviously, Melier was, I assume he was expecting a high lofted cross. But does Coleman mean it? I think he does. I genuinely think he does. And if he doesn't mean it, does it even take away from the quality of the goal? Because for me... (sighs) What are the chances that your right wing... Well, he plays 4 2 so just right back. who's that far up the pitch. Coleman, at his, let's be nice, progressive age, thinks, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to right foot volley cut this into the back of the net. It, 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 don't get me wrong. Unbelievable finish. I'm just not entirely sure that he meant for it to hit the back of the net.
1: I mean, it didn't come across as a cross because it was very flat. That's one thing.
0: Yeah, but all the. All and the goals... two,
1: if he if he misplaced the cross, that would be more close towards Melier as opposed to being sort of like directly at the goal. I 100% think he means that. He's, you know, you say he's progressive, but he knows what he's doing. He's a very experienced Premier League veteran uh, for the veterans. And um... so I'm going to rewatch <laughs> it now because I am
0: still like. If he means... They, we've seen plenty of goals in the Premier League where they're goals that aren't quite intentional. Um, so I'm thinking um, Arthur Masawaku scored one against um, Chelsea last season and from a West Ham perspective, that classic Paul Konczewski Paul FA Cup line. I knew you were going course. there. Of course. But this goal, hang on, let me, let me find it. Oh, God. Everton had so many chances. This Leeds team are ropey. Oh, they absolutely plagued. So I'm skipping through the the highlights. Very quick. Oh, there was a fight. I remember the fight. Yeah, that's uh, like two fights in two weeks for Everton as well. Okay, so he's been played down the right-hand side. Great ball by Awobi. He was very, starting very high. He's just inside the bot. or oh, Maybe. I, I, think I think he, he, he strikes that. that like he means that, in all fairness. Like uh, from he, the played, angle, he places
1: it. It wasn't like angle, but, it. he volleyed yeah. it. I think he, he sides it, right? Sidefoot
0: still he strikes it in a way that's not typical across, he's not going for Ben.
1: Yeah, I genuinely think he means that. I uh
0: in which case And I'm not surprised because you see the gap
1: there. Why would you not go for goal?
0: Yeah, he's watching that. Okay, in which case, don't get wrong, quality finish on the run. He was running full speed, getting that sort of connection. Brilliant goal. But back to your original question what is Millier
1: doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, that you know, that's the second keeper this week that's gone walkabouts um, and ended up in um, something wrong going up against their team. So, um, so yeah, Coleman, fair play. Uh, yeah, we, we pretty much decided. I think that he knows what he's doing there. So good finish from him. Uh, then moving on, we've got uh, Solomon against Brighton. Similar to the Watkins goal, it was a powerful low finish past Sanchez, um, but then a late winner for Fulham. So absolute scenes. Ultimately, Watkins won't be winning gold all week because it wasn't a losing side, unfortunately. But Solomon's is very much the carbon copy of Watkins' goal, so he's there in he's there in spirit. We're um, then going on to uh, essays against Brentford's, you know, thumping header. But I think most of the credit there would go down to um, Elise.
0: Yeah, the ball into into the box it was from Elise. Delightful. And it, the Each fact they picked him out, the run from Eze was really good, and yeah, complete. The ball completely took out all the defenders um, from Brentford. And... Absolutely
1: on a sixpence, placed yeah. it perfectly for him, and yeah, absolutely well deserving for a nomination there. And then conversely, on the other side, we got Daniel against Palace, similar to Eze. It was a great cross, and then a the last cast equaliser. Um, I've written also one word after that: limbs, and just. Fans went absolutely crazy with that. Um, and then, without any doubt, we've got JWP against Chelsea. Gets the win against Chelsea with the free kick, and of course, it's a free kick. Now, is one behind David Beckham in free kick goals in the Premier League with seventeen. I think Beckham has eighteen. Wow, that's so. Impressive. So he's you know a couple away from history. And if Southampton, you know, get relegated, does someone pick up JWP? Does he have the chance to break the record? Who knows. I think he could probably he might get those. Might I think he could season. probably get those two this season. Because that seemed, yeah. in
0: my mind, that's like his third or fourth already this season. Yeah. He's, um, he's very much
1: well capable of it. So, um, he yeah, is very much no
0: He's almost single-handedly pulling Southampton yeah. like through this season.
1: Yeah. And there's an honourable mention for Chris Wood as well. I don't think ultimately will win it. But he got the equals against City. We've mentioned it already. Pretty much touched every player of the, of the Nottingham Forest team. From front to back, total football, and a little tap in at the end to get the one-all draw against City, and um, proving that he's a better finisher than Erling Haaland. Seems absolute magic. So I um stump there's there's a lot of decent finishes this week, but I don't think I'm up against the jeopardy that I was last week and trying to pick out between two very good goals. I'm I think I'm I'm pretty much happy with what I'm going to go for and I, I'm going to go for Seamus Coleman just I because think... of that sort of the cleverness about it and just like the the heads up. It's a very much American term, this, but it's a heads up play. And that
0: means nothing to me. So I'm just going to go, well done Seamus Coleman on winning this week's Goal of the Week. Now it's the time for our Fab Four contest, the competition that pitches our score prediction skills against one another. Tom, we've said that this oh, um, this game week was somewhat unpredictable and um, very much was the case for us as we put in a lot of home wins and a lot of results did surprise us. Um, so if we're going to r- quickly run through the games, well... Let's just say that the first three games of the prediction, so Brentford Palace, Wolves v Bournemouth, Brighton v Fulham, none of us saw the draw between Brentford and Palace, Bournemouth getting the away win, or Fulham stealing all three points from Brighton at the Amex. However, we both <sighs> did see managerless Leeds losing at Goodison Park under Dyche. So, Everton have turned a bit of a new leaf. Obviously, they beat Arsenal the other week. They then lost the Merseyside derby. Should have seen the 1-0 coming. And then, and as people are calling it, Brexit ball, but I think that's unfair. Uh, but Seamus Coleman's goal proved dividends in that fixture, with Everton getting the 1-0 win and the clean sheet. Um, so, Tom, what did you predict for that game? Yeah, 2-1. Yeah, two, two, okay. And oh, I predicted 1-0, so... So in this format of our game, if you get the correct result, so Everton winning, you get one point, and Tom is familiar That's with these rules, and then if you get the exact correct score, you get three points, and I did predict Everton getting the 1-0 win. So while the game had kind of been squeezing up, getting a little bit tighter, um, well, it's time for me to gloat for a week because I have extended my lead here. Um, so it was quite tight, but with Tom's one point, that moves him up to 28 points.
1: and You don't have to put any emphasis on it, come on.
0: And for me, those three, lovely three points push me on to 33, so I've opened a five-point gap, which is all I'm good. I'm gutted by that. In all fairness, I thought I'd done Dreadful this week, and then opened it up today and saw that I predicted. I bet it was a nice,
1: nice little surprise. It was a
0: lovely little Monday warm for me. So, before we predict the results for next week's games, Tom, could you please tell us what games we have to look forward to
1: this game week? Match week twenty-five of this year's Premier League season. So we have Friday night football returns with Fulham going up against Wolves. It's Everton against Aston Villa in the starts of the three o'clock. Then we have Leicester City going up against Arsenal. West Ham against Forest. Leeds United against Southampton. And then the beginnings of the Saturday night fixtures. We've got Bournemouth playing host to Manchester City. And it's a return to Cristal Ball. It's Crystal Palace against Liverpool. And then the one fixture on Sunday is Tottenham against Chelsea, but no one cares about that. We've also got obviously Newcastle against United in the Carabao Cup final going to Geordies and then some reworked fixtures from match week 7 we've got Arsenal going up against Everton and Liverpool playing host to Wolves
0: and I think at the same time uh, there are also some FA Cup fixtures that midweek as well so um, it's going to be a very very busy week for our other 14 teams Um, So, looking at the fixtures for the following game week, we have the Friday night fixture of Fulham versus Wolves um, under the floodlights at Craven Cottage. We then have the Jolyon Lescott derby as Everton host Aston Villa. We then have another JL fixture with Jesse Lingard making his return to the London Stadium with Nottingham Forest. West Ham looking for revenge after losing 1-0 in an early game week this season. And then our final game of Fab Four is Leeds v Southampton. Well, Tom, um, looking at these games, some of them you'd go quite easily, bang, bang, bang. But based on last game week, it's not going to be that simple. In my mind, Fulham are on form. Wolves have had a little bit of a, a drop, so I'd put... Fulham winning that, then Everton v Villa. Villa have had a really rotten runner form with three losses in their last three, and dice football proving magic. Sitting a
1: lot.
0: Um, West Ham not playing well. Forest playing well. It's hard not to look at Forest in that game, and then Leeds v Southampton. I'm not sure who's going to be inviting who into the manager's office after the game for a glass of wine, but. At this point, no one's getting invited by either, since both are currently without a manager. So, Fulham v Wolves, where are all the beans going?
1: I think, like you, I'm looking towards Fulham more than Wolves. I think Wolves away records against, well, Wolves, ah, Wolves is, Wolves is? Wolverhampton's away record. Uh, this year isn't fantastic. So, like you, I'm looking for a Fulham win, a home win. I would put down, probably, I'm going to say Wolves have been better defensively, but I, I still think they'll lose this game. I'm going to go 2-1 Fulham.
0: Um, I'm going to go for a surprise. Wolves away win, because if this game week's taught me anything, carnage is everything. So, I think Wolves... <laughs> I'm going to see yeah, it like the Dharma Traore... Winner or something that's going to uh, prove uh, the difference in this game. Everton v Villa Obviously the back
1: line with his muscles.
0: I'm going to jump in here first with Everton v Villa, and I'm going to say Everton are going to win one nil. Bastard! Is that Goodison? You
1: know what? Dice has tweaked it. They I, keep I think, sheets. I think pre-Dice, this is a game that Everton lose. I don't think Everton lose this game. However. Villa defensively over the last couple of weeks haven't been fantastic. but Everton don't score goals, but Everton on the diet so far, minus the Merseyside derby, have kept two clean sheets. Um, I think had I had that option been available, I definitely would have gone 1-0. That being said, I'm going to go 1-1. 1-1. One, one. Interesting. Um, it's obviously quite
0: interesting about that fixture, is that at the start of the season, it would have been Lampard v Gerrard in the dugouts. <laughs> yeah. Instead it's we've got Deitch versus Emery. Two, two Emery. different styles
1: of football. Completely. They do have
0: somewhat different approaches to the game of football, but neither is less valuable or important than the other. And then West Ham v Forest. I'll let you go first on this. West Ham absolutely dying for points right now. Only five wins this season. Forest are looking quite good at home to Man City. Last week they were particularly strong. Oh, I don't know about this one
1: either, to be honest. Yeah, this is a struggle. I think West Ham will be glad to be at home for this one. They lost 1-0, obviously, in the, in the return fixture early on in the season. Forest don't travel well, particularly. So my mind is pushing me towards West Ham winning this game. But Forest over recent weeks... Um, Probably since the World Cup, actually, have been very much down a road of just solidity um, and have just been quite comfortable in what they're doing. Whereas West Ham, for example, have just been, yeah, all, all at sea. And I, I think a return to a fixture where it's not one like the top top ta- top part of the table sides, I think will do them all the world well, of good. Uh, but Forest won't prove to be an easy feat, no doubt. Oh, I really don't know where to put my money on this one. Um good job. You don't have to put any money on it. Draw. It's just pride. No, it's good. When the fun stops, stop. It is just pride, and I'm five points behind and I desperately need points. So with that being said, I think West Ham return to winning ways. They don't score a lot of goals, but I think I I'm gonna go counterintuitive with what I just said, but I'm gonna go West Ham 2 Forest Nil.
0: That is exactly the result that I was going to go for. So looking at um, West Ham so far this season against the teams in and around them, they've played five, won three, lost two. And then Forest, as you say, the way they travel, they've played five, only won the once, drawn two and lost two. Um, In my mind, it is going to be, as you say, it's going to be a a West Ham win but I think for the purposes of this game and to kind of just make me feel better c- because I'll be in attendance I'm going to say that it's actually going to be a one-all fixture um, and anything okay. better than that will be nice for me mentally and then we have the managerless derby by the time the game comes around um, it might be uh, Jesse Marsh heading to Leeds as the away manager but that is still all a little bit up in the air for both teams. Um both both teams uh, obviously Southampton had a little bit of bounce with their win, surprising win away at Stamford Bridge. But against oh, I don't know, Southampton
1: travel well. They do travel well. And they, they they're
0: not decent at home. While Leeds, on the other hand, but Leeds
1: home form is our Leeds not too bad are either.
0: pretty good at home against the teams in and around them. Oh, this is one of the more difficult ones. Um, it's my time to go first. Go on then. I'm going to say. Hang on, I'm looking at the Premier League table now to see which uh, which result I prefer. Oh, both teams are much much at the moment. Um... I think Leeds are gonna get the win here. I think it'll be a little bit of a faux bounce for them. I'm gonna say Leeds win two nil.
1: I'm glad you didn't put a one at the end of that because I'm very much under your sort of line of thinking. I, I do think Leeds do get the win here, but I'm gonna say two one. I think it's gonna be a close run thing. I think it's gonna be quite a nervy fixture. Um I'll even put it out there to say that Leeds get a very late winner.
0: So you're going for a 2 1 win there,
1: yeah.
0: Nice. Um, wow, the only way we'll find out about these is tuning in to the fixtures this weekend, and we've got some really exciting ones away from the Fab Four. We've obviously got interesting fixtures like. Crystal Palace hosting Liverpool, which is obviously a fairly charged fixture based on historical results. Yeah, absolutely um, flashbacks in that fixture. Sorry. And, and then also looking at those um, midweek fixtures on the 1st of March with Everton going to Arsenal. Arsenal obviously looking to bit, not have the double done on them by Daesh's men. But, you know, Daesh does what Daesh does and you never know. Um, I suppose one thing we haven't looked at or spoken about is that obviously there are postponed fixtures. So Brighton getting this weekend off and so are Brentford. So yeah, that's uh, that's quite interesting for them. And we'll see how they bounce back after having a week without playing any football. And with that, we are at the end of this episode of The Other 14 Podcast. Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this episode. Please subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. So until next game week, it's goodbye from me.
1: And it's goodbye from me.
0: And we'll see you next week on The Other 14 Podcast.